Welcome once again to the Kyber Pass podcast, where we present you with a chance to listen in on conversations that we've had with improvisers that have performed as part of the Thursday night music series at the Kyber Pass Cafe where we present the best that we can find of the Avant card improvisation and the like this is the acreage that we're concerned with We're not here unless it involves a journey that is uncharted. We dwell in an area that celebrates the unplanned and encourages the accidental. This week, Peter Goggin, alto saxophone. He shared his story and was kind enough to allow you to listen in. Yet another of the varied pathways toward developing a vocabulary. As always, this podcast is presented by the Kuiper Pass Cafe, located in St. Paul, Minnesota, on Grand Avenue. Voted number one Middle Eastern restaurant for 2019. play a short selection from the quartet that Peter performed with, followed by the interview. Now is when we will move toward that happening. Thank you. 
saxophone yeah and I was able to hear you I think one time down here mm. in combo and you really stood out to me as having uh, as having a voice on it you're you're uh, on your horn playing I was kind of knocked out by it because you seem youngish yeah yeah, or maybe you just look young, but I thought, yeah. oh man, dude's got like a voice. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely, I, I look very young. So, uh huh. I get that a lot outside of music or whatever. People just, you know, getting ID'd at the oh, gas I station see. or whatever. Yeah. But uh, don't tell me you're smoking cigarettes. No. Okay. Never. But uh. Let's see. I mean, I think it, it's kind of a matter of personality. I feel like, um, with relation to at least music, I've never been the most, I guess, thorough or like analytic with it. Um, maybe in a more abstract way, but I've never been the type who got really into, you know, powering through licks in like twelve keys or. You know, trying to find some, 
magic way to like systematize all this information. Well, so that's not you. Yeah, that's never well, really been. So what is you then? What is your? That's because. Well, because we know that way. That's well, like a way some cats roll, yeah. like the heavy woodshed, and yeah. they're just going at it. Well, it's weird because, you know, when I went, to, when I was in high school, mm. uh, you know, taking classes and stuff, and key, I had kind of a lot of things going on, um, and I was very, you know, I, I took like calculus, and I was very much, I, I could get it easily into, kind of wrapping that mind, mm-hmm. around sort of like schoolwork mm-hmm. and like writing. Like but words. not not for your horn playing. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, I think, you know, I didn't necessarily think I was going to go to music school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I applied to some like engineering and science schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, mostly it was that, and then music was just purely something that I really got into. I mean, it's it started, mm-hmm. I guess, with hearing a recording. Um, one of my first teachers Wade Schrader he's I think he teaches band at Park Center now but he played trumpet mm-hmm. um, and saxophone but all of us do play on trumpet because that was his main instrument mm. um, but I remember within the first like three weeks he played yeah. a work song by Cannibal Adderley okay and he gave me three like CDs that he had burned compilations of like Miles Davis Charlie Parker oh he's taking care of you man yeah exactly and it was and that was the thing he didn't even come at it from a perspective of you gotta know how to play on changes and mm-hmm. you gotta know these licks and do things in different keys he just showed me recording you know I think yeah. I think smart people know when like you're dealing with kids that young it's probably the best thing you could possibly do <laughs> yeah you know? well so to get more to what your approach is then yeah are you uh, <clears throat> more of an intuitive player and you you get inside of what that feeling is more than being like a what I would call like a woodshedder that's trying to yeah I would I would say that that's pretty true mm-hmm. um like usually it had even cause well this is a thing that a lot of people kind of do in a systematic way when I was in middle school I kind of I didn't really work cause I had Jamie Abersold play along tracks mm-hmm. and I worked in it for a bit my first year playing mm-hmm. and then all during middle school I didn't work on them as much and we just me and my new teacher who Gus Sandberg mm. uh I don't study with him any longer, but he was my teacher all throughout middle school and high school. We just kind of read through the Omni book, which is, you know, transcribed Charlie Parker solos, not even thinking about improvisation, just kind of like we'd play them next time he'd say, work on these measures, like mm-hmm. you know, just as if they were etudes, right. you know, and, but I really liked the sound of playing those lines. Like it was really fun. Like, yeah. and just like the tactile experience of like those shapes, you know, I, I think I just kind of like would, could zone out and just kind of like play those for a while, even though. You know, it wasn't replicable. Like, I couldn't really, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't, like, play those things and know what they were. But, so, I guess my introduction into integrating some sort of vocabulary, it had to do with reading music and a player from the tradition. Yeah. But then, so then, I, I had that experience kind of working on that, and then I went to my first jazz camp at uh, McNally Smith College uh-huh. of Music, when that was still open. Yeah. Um, and I think that was probably my first experience playing with like, you know, players of a certain level of a certain sort of like intrinsic motivation. Because uh-huh. I played with some friends, you know, in middle school who played the right instruments, but like they all didn't last more than like a few weeks. They weren't into it. Yeah, or at least it, it was just too much. You know, it wasn't worth it the, yeah. for the returns. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. But once I went to McNally, you know, I hadn't really been hitting the play along tracks or the blues scales, but I had pretty much just been like 
listening to this, like Charlie Parker music, like Bird with Strings, and then okay. like reading through these solos and lessons, and doing maybe some classical studies, and then uh-huh. all of a sudden when I started playing with people, and then I looked really young, because like right now I'm 22, and like uh-huh. some people could probably see me and think I'm like 16 or something. Mm-hmm. So then I would have been like, <laughs> like 12 or 13. So, mm-hmm. you know, and and so I guess when I, once I started playing with people and we were playing kind of like tunes, like yeah, I guess. I didn't really know what I was doing. It was mostly playing by ear within a vague key. Like, we, mm. we actually did play Work Song, which was the first right. thing my teacher showed me. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know. I think that's in, like, F minor or something. And, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't exactly know what I was doing, and I didn't really practice anything in F minor, but I could play the shapes. Okay. And immediately I could somehow, I could get into some sort of, like... So, yeah, I guess I would say naturally uh, my approach is pretty intuitive and just mm-hmm. informed with informed by what you know, I listen to or what I hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, like, the mentors that I've had, for, mm-hmm. for example, they I don't think any of them have really pushed me into that sort of direction. You know, especially, mm-hmm. you know, Adam Linz. You know, mm-hmm. he kind of opened a lot, a lot up when he showed me and, you know, my peers, you know, you know, Ornette Coleman, Bill mm-hmm. Dixon. Yeah. You know, all those players. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, watching Mike Lewis Fat Kid Wednesdays, like I kind of like develop like a natural sense of like you know, that that music does it kind of helps you when, when you don't have a certain amount of information and you mm-hmm. see people play that kind of music, mm-hmm. it really allows you to play to your level very much. And it, it's not necessarily like woodshedding making this like proactive sort of mm-hmm. assault. <laughs> but yeah. it's like but you're actually listening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I gotta say, from my like my side of the game, uh, it's a very if you if you have like the ear and the access to your soul, <laughs> it can be such a great way to approach it because. Yeah. Uh, It just becomes who about more about who you are, you know, yeah. and that kind of thing gets me jacked up, man. Like when, <clears throat> and I did note that in your playing, like it was, it was different. It's a different style uh, than some other players, and I thought you had a lot of verve. Uh, well, so what's your approach? Like, so let's say you have a tune, right? You look at a chart, yeah. And then, are you sort of looking at it more as like the whole, just the gestalt of the tune? Yeah. Well, I just finished uh, music school in like jazz studies. Okay. At University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all these things that I was saying about kind of my natural tendencies, mm-hmm. I feel like in the last four years I've been very like, uh, I don't want to say like ruthless, but like I, mm. I want to be very honest about like addressing what the other side is and trying to sure. you know integrate that into like who I am because mm-hmm. um, that's the other thing I was saying like before like when I wasn't like pursuing music as if it was my future like in high school mm-hmm. I had this side of me that was that could be very systematic and very like kind of disciplined yeah you and, said like with <clears throat> calculus locking into all that order yeah. and yeah, yeah. exactly and 
it was it was kind of an interesting sort of like task to come to school and then there are people who you know from like California or from you know Detroit who mm-hmm. their whole life has been you know sort of like more along that sort of uh sort of like orderly yeah um comprehensive sort mm-hmm. of approach mm-hmm. um and so like when you get there and there are people who in some ways are farther ahead of you mm-hmm. you know there's uh you know many ways that you can react to that mm-hmm. you know how did you react to it um well it was very easy because there were uh three or four students from detroit from the detroit scene mm-hmm. um who you know played brilliantly mm-hmm. um who you know went to my school or were in my department um they were all protégés of marcus belgrave um an amazing trumpet player who uh he passed away recently, but he, he played with Ray Charles in the 50s. Okay. Uh, he was one of Mingus's favorite trumpet players. Um, he would have played with him a lot more, except he moved to Detroit early in his career, like at the peak pretty much, with who he was playing with, to yeah. sort of get the Detroit scene going and, mm-hmm. you know, plant some roots there. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, he's, his, his students, like, he has so many, you know, stellar students from Detroit who have gone on to be the biggest person on their instrument, like, like Jerry Allen. Okay. Uh, James Carter, Regina Carter have all kind of been touched by Marcus Belgrave in some way. Okay. Um, but so his son is is actually an alto player in my same year. Oh, dig. Yeah. <laughs> and then there were also two guys who were kind of his close students, closer students, you know, they're, mm-hmm. I guess, their levels to how, how much someone wants to take people on. Sure. But there were two, and, you know, they're all black kids from Detroit, mm-hmm. just kind of like from the middle of the city like not really like coming from the suburbs like and that's kind of why i think he had really close interaction with them mm-hmm. um but they're, pl- but they're playing the... is like the most like the deepest hard bop like you, you okay. never hear like it and it's the most authentic too like yeah everything that every single like phrase or word that they play is like you can tell it's like coming from somewhere yeah and, or it, it's it has come from somewhere like they, they it's like hieroglyphs or something like it's something mm-hmm. they like kind of took and put down and they've just internalized and now they can just breathe it mm-hmm. you know but it's all completely like vocab you'd hear on like a blue note record or like mm-hmm. or like a, a bird record or, yeah. or even coltrane um and but so yeah yeah coming coming to school it was like very easy to kind of see how that side is something that i would want you know uh-huh. because that thing is you know like the real like the amazing musicians in Minneapolis, like, are just as amazing as them, but in a completely different way. Okay. You know? Yeah. Like, the creativity is a bit more infused into the, like, the meat of it and the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and the group. And, like, like in Detroit, and I've, the thing about Detroit, too, is it has, like, a crazy, like, legacy of, you know, traditional jazz musicians coming, like, the Jones Brothers, uh, Paul Chambers, uh, Roy Brooks, and these so these were like some cats that you rolled with, a little. Yeah, more, I mean, I definitely got to see them like play. Like some of your main cats, um, kind of. Well, Kassan, uh, mm-hmm. Marcus Belgrave's son. I mean, we've kind of developed the program, um, you know, hanging out through different other groups of like sure. students that we know. Um, the other two kind of graduated right as, as I got there, but mm-hmm. I mean, whenever I listened to them, you know, I, I'd be I was completely open. And of course, yeah, we all hung out a few times. Dang. Um, 
cont- I continue to see them around, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm in the Ann Arbor, Detroit area. Yeah. And, but, so, so it was like, so I guess incorporating the whole, like, the other sort of, like, disciplined side of, of the process, that's, that's kind of, I think, like, I'm at a, at, at this particular day, yeah. I'm, at, I'm at a very interesting point because, you know, I just finished this four-year period of more or less, like, trying to control my instinctual, just, like, what I would normally do. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I've, been, I've been consciously trying to, like, put myself into something that, like, but, I mean, I, I've been doing it in my own way, you know? Like, I sure. still don't really practice a lot of licks in all 12 keys, but mm-hmm. in, what I've decided is important based off the people that I've met at Michigan mm-hmm. is is these records, you know, really taking these oh, black, the black figures from yeah. black scenes, Detroit, Philly, mm-hmm. Chicago, you know, like Kenny Dorham, Hank mm-hmm. Bull, like all of that, and really affirming their genius, mm-hmm. you know, affirming like what their value is like to me, like what, what kind of they're laying out for future, for the future. Yeah. You know, um, so you tap tapping into that vibe, that's yeah. that side of what the art is. Yeah, and and, and for me, it hasn't <clears throat> it hasn't manifested yet in like, in kind of concrete work, mm-hmm. like I would want it to. Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's been more about, uh, you know, figuring out who they are, mm-hmm. like really feeling it. Um, you know, I spent a period of six months working on like five Lester Young solos. Mm-hmm. Um, I I mean, of course, you can learn those solos and like. Just like the notes and memory. right, like you, you can learn them in like a month. Yeah. But I kind of just like kept with it, and you know, was really trying to, you know, it'd be like a meditation kind of. You wanted to get on the inside of that. Yeah. Sounds like you want to get like what. That's a very interesting uh, position, like because. Yeah, with like any any player. You know, they have their solos all transcribed. <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. So you can get that part of it but then that's not the real part in a lot of ways yeah. it's it's the it's the soul that created it yeah and to understand what that is where somebody was coming from it sounds like maybe that's what you like to spend your time dealing in yeah do you with catching a cat yeah. so do you know uh, the player John Arabagon, no, the saxophone yeah. player. No. He's a he's a really interesting guy because he has a a group called Mostly Other People Do the Killing. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like the same instrumentation as the Ornette Quartet, mm-hmm. but they like they like just they, they have very crazy music that like fluctuates from like things that on the surface sound very traditional, like immediately goes to free stuff more, mm-hmm. and then it, you know it's 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 almost like. Like Frank Zappa jazz, like acoustic mm-hmm. jazz mm-hmm. version of Frank Zappa. That, oh, okay. that actually references the tradition, though, because yeah, like I Frank Zappa, I, I'd even consider jazz himself. Mm. But on the surface, it's like it's just like the the fluctuation. But this yeah. guy John, he's a he, one of the reasons I first got into him is because he's one of the few people who's like nationally in the jazz scene who like looks somewhat like me. He's like a Filipino guy mm-hmm. from uh, Chicago, mm-hmm. um, and he's like really short too. He's one of the other people. Mm-hmm. Looks way younger than he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to tap on that for a second, because I hear about that kind of thing, how how important is that for you? What do you just that on the sort of like you as a person when you encounter someone who looks like you? 
doing things that you want to do how does that fit to you you know what I mean well like, it was it was weird because I think his personality might be a bit different than mine mm-hmm. I think he more because well so I asked him about transcription because mm-hmm. I feel like I really only had kind of done it by ear and I never really you know the way that I naturally started to approach transcript because I didn't really start doing it until I was in college either mm-hmm. which is something I've started doing a lot more now yeah but at that time I'd done some solos but it just felt like I wouldn't really understand the context. I wouldn't really be able to apply what they were doing when I was playing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so I went to this guy, because this guy, even though he's really out, mm-hmm. he uh, he uh, he won the Monk competition, which is like the super straight ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like the most sort of like institutional, like whatever. It's um, surprisingly square. Yeah, and so I met him and like... I guess I guess it, it, it maybe it was I, I just got such a strong impression of it because there wasn't any sort of like barrier that I had necessarily had to like go past. Okay. Um, but I mean, my teacher Andrew Bishop is like a white guy, and like I've never mm-hmm. I felt like pretty comfortable with him mm-hmm. from like. But but the thing is also like he would I feel like he was kind of like a resource, like he mm-hmm. wouldn't really like like insert much agenda mm-hmm. which is pretty and th- th- neither, did, neither did John but so but but so John like I asked him about transcription and he talked about like the saxophone lineage like he had this like he had it all mapped out oh. like like horizontally vertically like I mean not really visually but like he like yeah. was talking about like the different paths that things went down yeah um, you know like he, he like got all into like the whole because I guess in terms of Lester, we're talking about Lester Young. Sure. There's, like, a pretty, like, what, what kind of my favorite way that it goes, if we're talking about kind of, like, mainstream accepted jazz history people, it's, like, you know, there's Lester, and then Charlie Parker, and then kind of, like, Dexter Gordon, and then Coltrane, and uh, Wayne Shorter, mm-hmm. who's, like, my number one, I feel yeah. like, in some ways. Um, but, so, like, there's that, but then there's, like, Coleman Hawkins, Ben Webster, or like Ben Webster, Coleman Hawkins to Sonny Rollins, mm-hmm. which kind of fuses with like the bird stuff. Like, mm-hmm. but so he really like, it seemed like to him it was like almost like I guess my dad is really a is a, is a big reader. He mm. reads like, you know, sometimes a book a day, sometimes like fuck like, off, like like usually like one one to two books a week, I think maybe. So maybe not one a day, but like. But yeah, man, he's hitting it. And sometimes he can get yeah, and. So he kind of just, like, knows things. He has things mapped out, mm-hmm. you know, just about, like, history or, like, events. Yeah, and dude. it kind of reminded me of that. It just reminded me of, like, oh, this mm-hmm. is a guy with, like, a lot of, like, energy. <laughs> like, a lot of, like, like emotional energy to put into, like, discovering and, like, mapping out things. Yeah, so, know? like, the family tree of fucking... Uh, yeah. Read players. Yeah, and the crazy thing about him though is he actually learned all of them on every instrument. <laughs> like, oh, like apparently that's he's crazy. He's, apparently he's a few souls away from transcribing every John Coltrane solo. <laughs> yeah, that's mental. And then like, yeah. and I taught I like, and but I guess the pro I guess to finish off the thing about him, like his process was that what he said to me was he would take to start this project, which he started after college. Mm-hmm. He would take a player, for example, like Coleman Hawkins, mm-hmm. and then take like maybe like five months mm-hmm. and like that's the player and a lot of all these like smaller exercises that he does are geared towards 
learning to sound exactly like Coleman Hawkins in any context. Ah, oh, dig, okay. Like, like playing over five, <laughs> or like whatever, uh-huh. like sounding like Coleman Hawkins. Or, uh, and I don't know though, I think that's like a lot of information for anyone to take in when they tell you about that. Because there's probably mm-hmm. all these details that I don't know about. Like, mm-hmm. like he probably does more than just focus on that. Oh, yeah. But but that's the trippy thing. Is like He kind of explained to me this whole thing, and it's just a sort of objective like thing that he's describing to you. And mm-hmm. like, like, and I took this lesson about like two years now, mm. two years ago now. Sure. And so like, since then I've been, you know, like at right at the beginning I tried to like incorporate that. I like wrote out the Sonny Stitt solo mm-hmm. and then I realized, oh fuck, like Sonny Stitt, like, this is too complicated. Like, I guess I'll do Lester. Yeah. And then I did Lester and like, I wanted to be like what he said. So I tried to like, I wrote out all the. Like, what he also, another feature of it is he wrote out all the solos. He'd learn them first by ear, then write them out. Okay. And then, after he would write them out, he would, like, take individual things that just at least caught his attention. Not Mm -hmm. too many, though, but Mm -hmm. just write some down. Mm -hmm. And then have another notebook. Mm. And he'd just, like, use those to kind of guide, like, practice. Oh, okay. You know, I guess. I don't don't think he would really hold it to himself strictly. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, as, like, a... As a sophomore in college, getting this information, like, I just, I like, I really tried to like, go way too far in the other direction. I tried to like, you know, do the twelve key thing and like write down, like, catalog this vocabulary and like, mm-hmm. it. You know, I've been I've been finding better ways to sort of like, to meet myself halfway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting, that you're. Uh, uh, it's like you want to kind of catch that, on the back end almost. Yeah. And yeah. but yet it still isn't you enough to really dive into it. Yeah. And yeah. that's good that you're aware of that, I think. You know, like what fits with you and what makes sense, you know. Yeah. So how does that we'll kind of wrap up for what's happening then tonight at the Kyber. So you you're in quartet? Yep, quartet. We're going to be improvising everything. Oh, so there aren't going to be any tunes. I think there'll it? be two names. <laughs> There'll be two names, but as far as playing, it'll just be straight up free yeah. playing. Yeah. And how do you feel about that? Where, how do you approach something like that? I think it'll be good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, because, well, I just went to, like, Croatia mm-hmm. to uh, attend this International Association of Schools of Jazz meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were like a bunch of kids from different countries, mm. uh, different languages, and everything. And you know, it kind of for a lot of people there, it kind of just melted their sort of like existing filters. And like mm-hmm. by the end of it, we were all like really loose and playing. Like I mean, there was enough people for six different combos. Oh man! Um, okay. And I honestly, through, throughout the week, I was kind of struggling with like. I felt kind of boxed in, or like I didn't want to like offend people or like show off too much. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, I like, hear you. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I was kind of like trying to make make the changes and like just kind of like put out sort of like a humble thing, mm-hmm. which is like good. Like that's kind of like my vibe naturally. Mm-hmm. But I think at the time I was feeling some discomfort about trying about about that. I was kind of like I was I was unnecessarily restraining myself yeah. to be polite a little bit and mm-hmm. and be a, also be a good diplomat for the country, you know. I don't want to. Nah, I hear you. Um but you could you I feel like you could really feel by the end of the concert everybody's 
you know, all that kind of went away. And that, and that's, you know, being in college, playing in college, like, mm. I feel like that was there the whole time. Like, my, what I was saying is, like, I guess being in college has been kind of me negotiating with that and trying to, you know, I guess negotiating with the whole putting these filters on myself, you know, like, mm-hmm. figuring out how to do it, doing it a lot, mm-hmm. like, putting myself in these boxes. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like, my school paid for that trip to go to this thing, and it was, Dig. you know, all everybody... Everybody's vibe outside mm-hmm. of music too. It just kind of shattered our mm. barriers because you know everybody spoke different like levels of English. Everybody spoke mm-hmm. you know naturally different languages from different countries. Sure. And you know from day one, all the little pauses between ideas and talking, like when you're in conversation, yeah. like it would always be filled with support and positivity. Oh, right on, man. Which is I I mean really soon we all caught on like this is something that like isn't ordinary there's not a lot of places in life that you go where you feel this sort of like progression and sort of like upward uh direction no yeah. that's not uh that's not at every, every around every yeah. corner i tell you what yeah so i think i think i think that did a, little, a pretty good job of deconditioning some of the stuff yeah. and building up you know yeah right on to that peter looking forward to hear you play and thanks for being uh part of the doings yeah yeah thank you very much again we attain terminus peter goggin alto saxophone where he ends up, where he goes and develops in time. Is of interest to the podcast and I hope to you as well. The Kyber Pass podcast is available online and on iTunes and other podcast aggregators. Please suggest to any like-minded friends. That these conversations exist. As always, we like to hear from our listeners in any way you'd like by feedback email or the dreaded face to face conversation I'm your host Paul Metzger I truly thank you for listening and look forward to perspectives we encounter down the line.